Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I am joined by Matt Polinsky. Matt is a Chicago native who currently resides in South Burlington, Vermont. He manages acts like Goose, The Works, Rumpke Mountain Boys, Spiritual Res, and more. Matt has also worked with bands like Pigeons Playing Ping Pong, Spafford, Dopepod, and Turquoise in the past. His love affair with Fish started in the mid-90s when he first heard Fast Enough For You off of the band's 1993 release, Riff. Rest, as they say, is fishery. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. How are you, Ryan? That works. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on today. Very excited to, uh, to get down and uh, talk some fish with you. Uh, start, why don't you just tell everyone, uh, how did you get into Fish? Well, I got into Fish, um, as you just mentioned, probably in the the early 90s it sounds like you corrected me was it was it 1993 that that album came out yeah 92 was picture of nectar (laughs) sure right right so i i kind of wrote that off the top of my head but it was around that time um i graduated middle school in 1992 uh first freshman year of high school was you know that 92 93 year and i had just gotten into playing guitar i was really into uh, metal uh, bands like Metallica, Megadeth, Pantera, stuff like that. Uh, things were transitioning into the grunge era, uh, like Nirvana, mm. Alice in Chains, Soundgarden. I was getting into all of that, and a lot of what me and my friends who played guitar did at the time was we oftentimes bought Guitar World magazine so that we could learn how to play those songs of those bands that that we loved. And, uh, you know, one day, uh, there was a little baby article about Trey in there and something about, you know, that album that had just come out. And, um, you know, I just, I kind of dug into it a little bit and, uh, I'm a big fan of the sad song. You know, I like, you know, that ballad, that that mellow ballad kind of vibe, the, the black muddy river, you know, Jerry vibe. And, um, you know, so for obvious reasons, knowing that about me, you would understand why I was really turned on by fast enough for you. Um, that song is, it's such a great song. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it really, it really, really is. Um, you know, one of, it's some of my favorite Tom Marshall lyrics, one of my favorite fish songs, um, you know, in, 20 so that was you know early 90s um i slowly you know morphed from metalhead grunge head into hippie throughout the 90s not seeing fish at all um did not get to go see them 
When uh, did you first see them? The my first show was June thirtieth, nineteen ninety nine, in ah. Bonner, Bonner Springs, Kansas. Um, I do have an unripped ticket stub to see the band. Uh, this is back when they ripped them, but to see the band uh, do their Halloween performance of Quadrophenia at what was known at the time as the Rosemont Horizon in, uh, and just outside go? of Chicago in Rosemont, Illinois. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I never saw them then. I could have, ah. there's just a number of like historical Chicago area performances that yeah. I did not see. They played um, Farm Aid where they played with Willie Nelson and Neil Young together. There was the, the, the UIC Pavilion run in 98, fall of 98, um, you know, the farm aid happened just a few weeks earlier than that in Tinley Park, Illinois. And, and I just did not go. Um, I was raised with the dead, um, you know, by a couple of, you know, kind of nine to five hippies, if you will. And yeah. I just didn't really want to be part of that scene anymore. And I really tried my damnedest for a long, long time to not be part of it. But eventually, um, you know, I was going we all to give in eventually. We do. You know, I was going <laughs> to school um, at a, a local community college called College of DuPage. And I was working like as a driver at Papa John's or something, excuse me, during the day. And one of the guys I worked with was like, yo, dude, we're I'm going to get my check uh, and we're driving eight hours to Kansas City, basically Bonner Springs to go see fish. And I went with him to get my check and we both left and drove to Kansas city, you know, and that was, that was how it happened. It was like the best experience ever. How many shows are you at now? You know, I don't count, um, but I'm going to say it's probably about a hundred, 120 or something oh, like that. That's awesome. I don't, I used to do, you know, the, uh, the, the counting shows and, and when was the last time I saw a song, but now I go in with no expectations because I find awesome. it just makes the experience that much better. When so, was the last time you saw them? The last time that I saw the band play, well, it was sometime in 2019. It wasn't yeah. the New Year's run. I I don't remember exactly. It was it was last year. You know, um, yeah. It's just been such such a whirlwind. You know the seeing fish for me these days is more of a treat now and again. Mm. Uh, it's not something that I can go on tour because I'm so focused on bands like goose and other artists that I work with that are right. You know, goose is just so busy, even in the middle of a pandemic that, you know, it's awesome. Just, it's hard That's, to focus uh, on. It really is. Yeah. We're, we're very, very lucky. Yes, so for sure. So, yeah, you know, that, that first show was just a, a game changer. I did continue to go, you know, on tour. So Alpine Valley uh, in 99, which is one of my favorite fluff heads. Um, and, you know, I ended up uh, seeing a number of shows in the fall. Uh, they did that holiday run that year, because you know, going into the New Year show, which was Big Cypress. You know, I think the point of the holiday tour was – uh, a couple of reasons. I think one was because it was a holiday celebration and everyone was talking about Y2K at the time and how everything, you know, at the stroke yeah, of the midnight, world, was like gonna the, world the world was going to blow up or something. But now hearing a lot of information come from people who were part of the organization at the time, it sounds like, you know, there was talk of Big Cyphers being their last show for God knows who how long, you know, but it ended up going like almost another year. They ended up doing the hiatus after, um, 10, seven, 2000 in shoreline, but it sounds like they could have easily just stepped away then after big Cypress as well. And maybe that's why they were the holiday tour to make a bunch of money. Who knows? Yeah. Well, it was a great holiday tour. And I guess you seeing a lot of shows in 99 really, uh, you know, puts, uh, your song pick into context, uh, which is, uh, you picked split open and melt, which, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, why you picked this song to talk about? Well, you know, I could, we could do a whole episode about Big Cypress. Um, I, you know, split open and melt, you know, the, the jams in general um, are some of my favorites uh, that come out of the song. You know, often, you know, they, they are kind of choppy. 
but oftentimes you get these kind of Brian Eno-ish soundscapes that come out of them. But you'll also yeah. get like that dancey, funky, you know, fish that that everyone has come to know and love. But I would say that, you know, above and beyond um, the fact that I was there really, you know, I can I can see myself where I was standing. I can smell the air when I listen to this. Um, you know, this to a lot of fans, you know, even, you know, young and old, this is known as, you know, one of the best you oh, know, yeah. out there for even sure. to me who uh, prefers 3.0. <laughs> right, right. So you turn 20. Wow. You're, you're, you're right there. Like you, were, oh, yeah. you were a baby when this I wasn't was alive. Happening. Actually, you were still swimming. I was okay. born a month after 1.0 ended, so I wasn't even. I oh wasn't my even goodness! Okay, well, I mean, it, which is completely irrelevant, but it just really it puts into context, you know. Yeah. For me, like so, you know, more than anything, the fact that I was there really, really, you know, makes this thing come alive every time I listen to it. But I mean, it. I just feel very lucky to have been there in that moment absolutely get to talk about it um you know it's fun to talk about this version regardless of what whether you were there or not but uh, you know to be one of you know a a handful of people and a a speck of moment in time that to be there it just makes it it's a completely different thing so um yeah i mean it was this was a really really fun exercise by the way you know doing me listening to going back listening to this version it really took me back and you know comparing and contrasting with the version that you had picked so um you know if you want we can certainly dig into this um let's do it yeah what's uh i i mean i had only heard uh the big cypress melt i think once before okay um i i i think i i listened to all of big cypress maybe one time uh with a a few of jams uh, a few of the jams sorry multiple times but um i really enjoyed listening to this one um it kind of i i think it it really well captures the uh late 99 sound as a lot of the you know jams from that time do um and 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 it's really cool because it's a very different kind of vibe uh from the version i picked which is uh december 30th 2018 uh from msg which is one of my favorites i think split open and melt had a great kind of uh renaissance in 2018 you know after not really being uh taken out too much for most of 3.0 uh really came back starting with the gorge version which was fantastic uh there was a great version in camden another one in hampton and then the vegas ones the Vegas and MSG versions were where it really like, uh, or really shined again after uh, right. kind of I, a long I time of not agree. really been uh, jammed out in that way. And I, this one, you know, being a keyboard player myself, and I always pay special attention to Page, and this version just really is just the Page show. Uh, his synth work is absolutely crazy. Uh, so I don't know if you feel the same way. Are, are, are we talking about the Big Cypress one? The uh, no, the one I picked. The one, the one you picked, a hundred percent. You know, I had mentioned, uh, you know, previously, you know, that Brian Eno influence that the the band had, you know, and, and I I do think I agree and disagree with what you said regarding you know the the versions being completely different you know, um, outside of like the foundation of the song, there are certainly some similarities. And like, I'm, I took, I'm going to take a picture and send these notes that I took to you. It is crazy. I haven't taken notes about like dissecting songs like this in so long, but like the Brian Eno thing kept coming up in my notes. And I think, you know, when I think of Paige and that synthy stuff and those layers and, you know, Trey's loop on top of that kind of intertwining, like with what Paige is doing or vice versa, you know, it, it's, it often comes up with that, that, you know, esque you know, sound, but I definitely, um, you know, had, had that in my notes. Um, you know, I, I thought that your version, um, as with a lot of of 3.0 versions i feel like 
the band just kind of from time to time just kind of stumbles through the body of the song you know trey oftentimes will miss notes sometimes he doesn't play at all um that was pretty relevant in the 12 30 18 yeah. version from msg yeah, there were a lot of flubs i know yeah that. yeah you know and then when they get into the we breathe deep part you know then they can kind of go into that exploratory territory they can just do whatever they want they kind of fumbled through stumbled through you know the song now they can get weird or jam or or do whatever they want and that it's pretty much, you know, I think what what happened. Um, my notes say jamming starts around the five-minute mark, clear from the start that they're going deep and not coming back in a good way. Yes. Um, let's see. There's I, some great, I, it, it starts off with some really awesome, like, hip, hypnotic guitar swells from Trey. Like that, that's, right. I use the word hypnotic a whole bunch of times in my notes from this because it was just really like like he was playing with uh i think like the volume as well so it was going like right he he has that like whammy pedal uh people called it the whale call like back in 09 when they came back and he like uses that a lot like in this version and every like every time i hear him you know just step on that for a jam it just makes me think of 09 you know and that not I in a bad way i think in 09 in 09 i was kind of sick of it but now when i hear it i i don't mind it and what were you saying it had been around already um well it, it i mean he's had the whammy pedal for you know almost all of the band's career but the whale right. call i think when they first came back after the breakup was kind of a kind of a crutch for Trey. I agree. Uh, and he kind of, you know, he went to it when, you know, he wasn't sure where to go in the jam. It wasn't always used to great effect or well. Uh, but I think in this jam, it's it's used to great effect. And I think it, it really fits with the vibe of the thing, especially um, early on in the jam, uh, Trey's whale calling over some really nice dissonant chords uh, from Paige on the Wurlitzer. Um, and th- that that moment uh, stuck out to me.
between that five and nine minute mark and I re-listened to this a few times because I kept noticing that I didn't have any like notation in between there and that's a lot of time in a fish jam you know for things to happen and I'm like Matt are you sure like there's nothing you want to write down but I do remember like that melodic kind of Wurlitzer you know sound um, mm. that that page was playing my first like major note comes in around nine minutes I said uh, nine around nine minutes lots of exploratory soundscapes 915 Trey hate Trey hits this funk chord backslash tremolo like Brian that's my first Brian you know like yeah. notation like it's if you're listening to us talk people you might hear you know the split open and melt like da 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 that's not what's happening at all right now for the record (laughs) like not not at all like we can do some weird sounds in the microphones and it probably would be more accurate then around 9 30 i have jam takes a left turn continues the soundscapes theme but driving driving down a different road yeah i have the same time stamp as just it starts going to space and i think Um, one thing that really kind of, uh, changes the tone of the jam as well is there's a very subtle synth swell from page just before, uh, the seven minute mark. Uh, and then he switches over to the roads, uh, at the eight minute mark, um, which always gives, I mean, I, I absolutely love the roads and how page uses it. And, um, I think it, it adds a certain vibe to the jam. You know, it can either, it can either, you know, it, it, it kind of gives it. Uh, a spacey or almost otherworldly quality because of the phaser on it. Um, and I think in this jam, it just really starts to, you know, take it out there. And, um, you know, I think Trey's playing is definitely influenced, obviously, by what uh, Paige is doing. And then when he starts after the nine and a half minute mark, uh, when he hits the, uh, the Yamaha CS60, and my note says, Paige hits the CS60 and begins summoning aliens, which I think pretty good descriptor of the sounds that are coming out oh my goodness yeah that's that's pretty good um you know i have you know just around that 9 30 mark you know the the soundscape theme but driving down a different road constantly painting a picture of absolute bliss um Mm -hmm. then around at 12 minutes uh that craziness that they go that they're jamming from like nine thirty to 12 minutes. It just continues. Then it kind of mellows out. It's very subtle, but the band's not done. And the crowd, you hear this big crowd eruption and cheering. Oh yeah. They're like, eating pro- it up. Yeah. Probably cause they're eating it up. It's kind of a break in the jam. It's a little bit of a breather. Corotas probably doing some cool shit on the lights and MSG, you know, using, um, have you been to MSG? I haven't. It's it's in your, the bucket your list. Career? Okay. Of course. It's I mean it's list. it's gotta be, you know, the the MSG, Hampton, you know, stuff like that. Those are yeah. are places you, you absolutely need to, to see fish. So um but yeah, then you know, around the twelve minute mark I've got, you know, tr- fishman kinda has these little this little tribal type vibe. It's almost like his toms or, or almost like a conga. It's so. crazy how similar our notes are here. I have uh, Fish is uh, at that point playing more of like a an accent role to the jam. You know, he kind of right. abandoned his uh, like ride cymbal or hi hat and snare beat, and is like you know playing on the toms and he's you know, like cymbals. And... You know, he had kind of been a little bit more underlying in the jam up until this point, but because of his like high pitched percussive instruments that he's playing at this point i think he's more like he's more at the forefront of the jam he's been making himself more known for for a little while uh trey just continues with those loops like screaming like melodic vibes you know and and shit like crazy shit like that and um you know he i think uh uh, one thing that i want to note because i don't have many notes in between the Trey screaming melodic part around 12 minutes and in the end of the song, Trey brings us back around like 15 minutes, but I made a specific note that once the first time I listened through, and then when I look back today, 
um, I was pretty intrigued and I actually went and listened to this. So this, the jamming of this sort, I remember for the first time going when I was on tour in 2004, they were doing a lot of just like thick, like synthy stuff and you know, the, the feedback, um, and specific note that I made on a specific song regarding this jam was the sense and subtle sounds jam from August 12th, 2004 in Camden. Um, so I went back and listened to that and I remember I was there. I remember seeing Trey. That was obviously a very sensitive time in the band's career. It was the last real quote unquote show before Coventry happened. And you know, Camden is Philadelphia pretty much. It's, it's like Brooklyn to, to Manhattan, uh, just right across the river there. And I just remember Trey was down on one knee for half the jam, just basically like ramming his guitar into his amplifier, creating this, these swells and feedback and, it was like blissful, but it was like angsty, like Kurt Cobain. And he was just like letting it all out. But that aside and the emotion of the time aside, the sound of the jam, you know, looking, listening to a lot of that stuff, like the Mr. Completely like jam from like, I think Utah that summer, or maybe that was Oh three, but like that that 2.0 sound, there was like a lot going on here. And you can, I I think, I, I agree with drawing the parallel between the two, but I think that kind of jamming has um, more direction and feel to it uh, than it did back then. Like at least to my ears, right. this one feels like totally. you know they're going into space and they're all kind of together in this. Uh, in two thousand four, it just sounded more aimless and you know Trey not really listening to what the other three guys were doing, and, and as you said, like ramming his guitar into his amp and just creating noise. And obviously it's a byproduct of his, you know, his, obviously his state of mind and sure. how he's not on Oxy now. Um, but yeah. And I actually, I, I thought it uh, sounded kind of like a 1999 jam. Uh, there is uh, definitely that towards too. the end. It was and like, I, I listened to this one or something, you know? Yeah. And I, I listened to this one before the Cypress one and I expected the Cypress one to be a lot more similar than it actually was. And it was really cool. Uh, listening to how, um, you know, instead of going into deep space, uh, to my ears, the Cypress one uh, stays mostly type one for the first 10 minutes or so, um, and then kind of uh, moves into this really happy and uplifting uh, jam in space, which I, I really liked, uh, you know, kind of went uh, you know, in the opposite direction that I was expecting it to. Right. Really cool.
It actually, yeah, t towards the end of the Cypress one, it, it reminded me of the uh, the 12795 mics. Uh, just kind of the, uh, you know, the jam they were playing, it, um, like that happy, melodic... Um, it sounded like they were about to go into Weekapog. Uh, right, right, right. I mean, we didn't really... I've got a whole other page of notes for, for the Big Cypress split open and melt. We can, we can certainly get into that because that you know that part that you mentioned um that kind of happy melodic like the end of the jam you know that goes into to catapult um spoiler alert uh <laughs> but that's really what ties it all together and really you know makes the whole jam and i i hope when you listen to it i know you're listening to it you're only listening to it for the second time. I'm assuming you were listening to it on relisten.net, yeah. you know, in the way that it's chopped up, it would show it would be shown as split open and melt and catapult as separate tracks. And they are not, it is catapult sung over basically the, the end of the jam and split open and melt, uh, which okay. never, never finishes either. So, um, yeah, I would. If yeah, because you... to my ears, it was kind of a you know an unfortunate ripcord. Like I was ready for that jam to keep going and going. It's it really I I completely disagree. It was it was basically which oftentimes happens like when something is tagged as catapult, it's tagged as catapult because they they sang catapult or right. you know just spoke the words like spoken word style over a jam but it's it's kind of a mashup of sorts it's still split open and melt in my opinion it you know they do that with kung as well you know like sometimes it's it's not like on its own anywhere um you know like one of my favorite drowns ever from charlotte in 2003 like they're doing like this black sabbath jam and they sing kung over it i would say that that's still drowned you know with with kung in the middle of it this i would I would probably, you know, that's, that's how I look at it. I never really looked at it the way you did where well, they just, now I'm going to go back and, uh, well, after we record, I'm I go back and listen. I to would that definitely <laughs> encourage you to do that. It's, I think that you'll, you'll understand, you know, where I'm coming from, because in my opinion, that, that jam and then I'm singing catapult over it is what makes this, uh, what some consider, the best or one of the best split open and melts of all time. Yeah. So I, I want to get into this one uh, more. I want to hear, you know, to your ears, what you love so much about this one. Cause to me, it didn't, you know, as, as much as I loved it, uh, my version to my ears sounds like it's a lot more, uh, you know, exploratory. Like there's a lot more uh, going on to my ears and it was kind of the opposite of you. You know, you didn't have uh, that many notes for my version. And I had like twice the amount of notes for my version that I did for yours. I mean, I, I had a page, I had a page for 1238 team, you know? Um, so, you know, I just didn't, didn't want to, you know, take like two hours talking about the version, which I could do, you know, just, with oh, yeah. just about any good fish jam, but, you know, so for, for mine, you know, basically it starts the band getting into the jam around uh, I've got at 4:39, and I, I'm listening to all of this stuff uh, on re-listen. You know, some of the yeah, stuff I, is I did official this on live releases, well. but just because everything is there in one place, um, it's easier for for the sake of the conversation to have yeah. the, those types of timestamps here. So, uh, I have at 4:39, the band goes into the jam. Um, I've got a little sub note says when going into a split it open and melt jam i think of the yes and quote unquote format the band has integrated into their improv um from the second city crew in chicago are you familiar with that yes yes yeah uh, so so that's kind of like what is happening here and and honestly i listened to like seven different like killer versions of split open and melt today, you know, like eight, 10, 97, awesome. um, eight, 16, 93 from St. Louis is 
it, it's they're completely different entities, but they're still oh, yeah. fantastic versions, right? So, you know, that's something that that with split open and melt, I think it when they start to jam, it more than almost any jam vehicle in the the fish catalog, they use that yes and method. Like you hear someone doing something and then you hear someone subtly following it and maybe it catches on and maybe it doesn't. So I'm hearing this for probably a couple, the first couple of minutes, which is pretty much par for the course for the late nineties and a split open and melt jam, you know, where they're, they're kind of like doing something, someone's following someone else. Um, oftentimes in 99, Mike was leading jams with, his just phenomenal bass playing that year. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, again, you know, what we know now, what was going on in the band's career at the time, you know, Mike was definitely the glue holding things together. I think. Uh, For I sure. Think and you can see with the, the stage uh, position shift in uh, 99 as well, putting Fishman and Mike in the middle, as well as, you know, showcasing the, kind of divide between Trey and Paige that was happening at the time. Right. Um, you can see, you know, Fishman and Mike were kind of the core of really like they were really at the forefront of the jamming at that time. Right. So ironically, that's, that's pretty significant. ironically, my first show, 63099 was the first show that they, they had that, that stage lineup. That was yeah. the very first one. I, it was even for a guy who hadn't been to a show, I knew enough about the band at the time, you know, I was, you know, as much engulfed in the band as you are at your age, like, which was, you know, I was your age at this time, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like, just knee deep in the thick of it and wanted to know everything about the band. So when I showed up, I was kind of confused as to what was going on there. But, um, you know, I have just getting back into the, the 123099 version, I have around 620 band starts to loosen up a little bit. Trey mm-hmm. starts looping this melodic feedback. This big but, sustain uh, loop, I heard, at uh, six and a half. Yeah, that's that's that sounds about right. You know, it's not that, it's not like that whammy loop that he's known for. It's, it's those, that those were of, actually, uh, I heard them kind of poking in really, uh, like right at the beginning of the jam. Uh, they were pretty quiet and pretty subtle, but I could hear the kind yeah. of, I don't know if they were the keyboard loops or just his uh, regular guitar loops, but I could hear them. I could, uh, I could hear it too, but I think like that sustained, like more even like feedback is like what both of us are hearing here. But you could, I think yeah. it's probably when we hear those like quick little blips, it's probably, you know, how he's just basically dancing all over those pedals for a couple of minutes, yeah. trying to figure out like, that sound that he wants for the jam coupled with his I crazy ADD that, you know, he's, he's probably trying to figure out, you know, what's going on up there. Um, but eventually I have at seven fifty seven Trey plays a lick that I will never forget. If this was on, uh, I think it's on fishnet where they have like, they play like a little clip, you know, it's like a little five second clip. Like what was this like a mystery clip or something like that? Oh, mystery jam Monday. Or, or fantasy yeah. tour. It's one of those websites. Right, right, right. So he plays this little lick. that's like, it's or something like that. I like, and then Mike follows it. It's like that. Yes. And kind of thing. And it just happens for a little, a second. And, then it's it's still there like the concept is still there but you know that riff is gone but that's just one of those riffs like i just i'll never forget i remember exactly where i was i was watching people i was right next to kuroda they were in this big tent and there was this big uh school bus made out of uno cards that was being passed around the top of the audience towards the front of the stage um, and it was made by this guy who called himself Uno. Um, I actually, ironically, I ended up moving to Philadelphia in 2004. I met this guy who's now my friend. His name's Clay. But I was like, you're the guy with the Uno bus. But that's why I just, <laughs> I remember this moment. I remember that riff right then and this this 
this school bus made of Uno cards. It's just, you know, little moments like that. So yeah, that was happening at that time. The whole band was, was basically like dancing between each other's playing, you know, a lot of that yes. And concept, you know, was happening where someone was catching on to one person's riff. Um, You know, Trey played that little riff, Mike, immediately piggybacked it and then fishman's drums kind of piggyback that and then uh pages kind of fills in the sound um that all kind of happens for i mean that's in between like the eight and 11 minute mark Um, yeah and then i have like around 11 minutes that things just kind of change completely or at least semi-completely into more of those like spacey melodic soundscapes that i i keep mentioning um it's there's almost like four parts to this this song there's the foundation of the song that we know and then there's like three jams there's the jam in the beginning where they're trying to figure it out there's the one that i was just talking about basically from you know like 620 to like 9 30 or something or maybe like 10 30 i don't know i've got like this is where my notes kind of become a little unclear because i i kept hearing different things every time i was listening to it so but (laughs) at the 11 minute mark i have changes direction into spacey melodic soundscapes upbeat dancey awkwardly funky vibe (laughs) and it's it's this um it's this freaking mike it's mike dude mike starts to play that like crazy or he's playing like some like cool stuff you know for a while um but and i I think on on the audience tape of my version uh you can't hear mike as well and i'm sure if i listened to the the soundboard copy i would have noticed him uh probably a lot more but i was mm. trying to go on an even playing field here and since there's no uh official release of cyprus i listened to the re-listen version of uh sure mine just because i know i would you know i would definitely have some bias to the one with the better sound quality mm-hmm. um but i i do think you know both of these jams do have this uh these really unique and interesting soundscapes and i think again op- total opposite ends of the spectrum you know uh my version is kind of you know jagged and you know outer space jams and yours is kind of you know, it's again, melodic and uplifting and Mm -hmm. very different. And it's kind of the reverse of what you'd expect um, from, you know, the years that they're from, Uh, you know, because 2018, you know, isn't uh, as known for its evil and spacey jams as 99 is. Right, right. I mean, I, I think that there's different points in, in times for that, for sure. I think, you know, this jam you know, I, I've had the conversation about this jam before with, with people and some people, some people don't like it at all. You know, some people tell me that they feel like the band sounds confused or something because there's like spacey stuff, but like Fishman, you know, like right around that 11 mark, minute mark I was talking about, like Fishman starts going into this kind of like bossa nova, like Yamar kind of like vibe, you know, mm-hmm. like on his drums, but like there's still like this swelly synthy, you know, like Trey and page like weirdness going on, which was par for the course at that time. I, I heard hints of thread and seven below from Fishman. Uh, obviously neither of those songs existed at the time. Um, but that that's kind of uh, what his beat was reminding me of a little bit uh, sure. around that time. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I had, goes into a bossa nova question mark so i'm not super mm-hmm. educated on what that means but i i think most people <laughs> would understand type groove for the next several minutes which by the 13 and a half minute mark feels like an out-of-body experience which is par for the course for any great fish jam like if you <laughs> have been to a fish show or even when you're sitting at home or you're driving in the car and you're in the middle of like just a really intense fantastic jam you kind of like forget that you're there for a moment you're just so engulfed 
in what's going on in the music. And for me, like that's happening here. And it, that happens for a while, you know, they just kind of like get into this groove where they're not, it's, it's not the best groove. It's not the worst groove, but it just really feels really, really great. And they don't have to add anything or take away from the jam. So they just keep doing it and they're having fun. The audience is having fun. You know, they're in the middle of the Everglades in Florida. Everything is right. You have to remember this is the day set of New Year's right. Eve. Right. Yeah, it's not even so it's not even the it's, big one. It's light outside when this is happening. There's not like crazy like corona lights happening. This is at like five o'clock in the afternoon. You know? So it's it's a different type of vibe too, you know, and they they can see the crowd. They're seeing everyone dancing, having fun. You know, some people are probably just coming out of their hungover shell because the, of the ripper that was 1230 99. Mm-hmm. I, I think to that, that show and the first set of 1231 definitely get overlooked because of obviously, you know, the all night set. I, I listened fantastic. to your podcast with greg knight my my man my right hand man he's one of my best Mm -hmm. friends but you mentioned that you know one of the songs that you're chasing is mike's song and that is above and beyond the best best mike song out there um Mm. have you ever seen the video online for that mike i know it exists i haven't watched it it. exists you have to go watch it corota unloads every ounce of haze that he has on stage um, and there was just this massive cloud of fog that went literally from like the stage past like the front of house section. And That's it, awesome. it, it was so, so amazing. Um, but yeah, you know, it, that's just, uh, getting back to the split up in the melt, like remembering that, like what we're talking about here is, is the daytime and, you know, certainly the atmosphere and the vibe of what's going on around the band is going to influence what's happening in the way that they're playing, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, getting back to it, they're doing that bossa nova thing for a while and coming full circle where we started at about 1850, which is where I think on re-listen, it cuts off as split it open and melt and it goes into, it's marked, uh, labeled as catapult. Catapult, it yeah. It goes into... Uh, Fishman just like hits the closed hi-hat. It's kind of like still got this underlying like bossa nova. It's like if you played like first tubes drum beat in a bossa nova style or something like that. Mm, that, Interesting. Kind of quick thing. And Mike is doing like just a super funky like bass line. And he's got this cool little bend in the middle of the line that – I really honestly have never heard anything like it in a jam out of him. And Trey just immediately, you know, follows it and, and everyone follows it. And, and it's, it's kind of, they're doing this jam over what's coming out of this kind of, I don't know exactly what notes it is. It's like an AG kind of thing or like a DC, you know, kind of back and forth, like major chords going back and forth. And it just drops yeah. into this thing. And then they sing catapult over it and it's just goosebumps and dancey vibes and like epicness. It's just truly amazing. They come out of that, that jam and they'd never finished split open and melt. It just kind of fizzles out and, uh, and fades out. And then the crowd goes crazy and, uh, and cheers for, for a few seconds. And then, you know, after about a minute of the crowd going crazy, Trey, comes up to the mic and says only at the largest concert in the world can you get away with playing a song like that you know and <laughs> and that was just really that said it all you know that's awesome for for that moment and really you know that weekend um, yeah oh yeah that must have been so incredible um yeah i honestly i i wish i could have had the opportunity to you know be at an event like big cypress just so so cool you will. One of my uh, one of my family members was there, and she's not even into fish. I think she went because uh, a couple of her friends were going, and I'm supremely jealous. Yeah, I took friends of mine that were not into fish 
at all and still are not into fish. Uh, don't go to mm-hmm. shows, but still consider that, uh, you know, one of the best times of their life for sure. I can't imagine there being any better way to spend, you know, a new year's Eve, let alone the dawn of the new millennium. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was great. You know, I think it really, uh, it really taught me to kind of like live in the moment for sure. And just enjoy what's around me. And that's, you know, what really, what I think of when I, when I go see fish, you know, I yeah. know that's what Trey preaches a lot of, you know, rightfully so, uh, you know, be here now, be in the moment, you know, like be the light kind of, I think he's been very influenced by Eckhart Tolle or something, you know, <laughs> over, yeah. over the years because of his life experience. But, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly the, the life I live as well. And, uh, and, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I cannot wait to see this damn band play live again uh, yeah. sometime in 2021. I'm, I'm putting money on it. I thought, I hope so. Ne- next fall is my current uh, dream. And it's unfortunate, but I, I'm just hoping that this time next year, I will have seen goose and fish. <laughs> I'm assuming you've never seen goose. I have not, and I if I had been into them uh, last November, I would have been able. I would have gone to see them in like Buffalo, um, and I'm kicking myself that I wasn't. Like I knew You're talking of about the, the Buffalo, no, the November sixteenth. Yeah, show and the, that that would have been like my birthday week too. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I I knew of that the band at one. the time, and I had heard a little bit of them, but I hadn't really been like, oh my god, this band is awesome. And that kind of hit me in like February, which was fantastic timing. <laughs> yeah, you know um, it, that yeah. Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo is just like a really good town for a lot of bands. You know, I I followed Umphrey's McGee for a long, long time, and you know some of their best shows were in Buffalo. You know, like Buffalo. I was, you know, I was there for that Goose show last year, and it was the the vibe was good. You know, it was dialed in. The band was feeling it. I mean, yeah. not to mention, you know, Nietzsche's is a very, very small place. Um, and it was just packed to the gills. You know, probably one of the most packed shows I've ever seen for Goose, um, regardless of venue size. You know, just the ratio of people to space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no space. Um, all people. But it was, it was definitely, you know, one of the highlights of the year for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I, I need to. Umphreys is on the list uh, for bands I need to see as well. I've got so it's a long list now. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping. Uh, you know, there was. I'm hoping that uh, the the fish uh, original uh, were supposed to be fall tour rumors for this year uh, are the same next year because there was rumors of uh, either Buffalo, Rochester, or both, or two nights in one of them uh, okay. for yeah, that... a fish fall tour, and I would love that. You know, I I have a theory and a hope as a fish fan, and this uh, in no way, shape, or form is a official news as a representative, like being in the industry or anything. I do not know mm-hmm. anything about Fish's tour, but my hope as a fish fan is that they will start at Dick's and maybe like Dick's instead of being the end of summer tour will be like a beginning of a fall tour. You know, mm. and I think that that could be good timing, even if they don't like play the next weekend. Maybe they play dicks. They just fire it up like they do for three nights and then they come back like three or four weeks later and play start playing shows. And maybe they play for like a month, you know, through Halloween. Uh, I think Halloween yeah. is Sunday next year. So they ended on a Sunday night barn burner Halloween show and then come back a couple of months later and and, you know, play msg um yeah i'm, I'm hoping we do get in uh, a more extensive uh touring schedule next year i think you know i could the see only obstacle happening. in the way of that would be uh um you know the usual uh you know mike and Paige. uh you know don't want to be away from their families for that long yeah uh, but, but i, I could know... see the band like wanting to play because they oh absolutely are, they understand when when they're able to play these bands understand how much of a healing component they're going to play in people's lives and for themselves, you know, you can really see 
hundred percent. I, I think more now than ever in the last few years, you can really see how much fun the four of them have on stage together. Um, you know, it, it wasn't always that apparent. And I know when I watch uh, videos of them, like from 1.0 and 2.0, it's, it's not as apparent. Um, but I think the last uh, four or five years, you can really see like, you know, not just Trey is smiling anymore. You know, they're all, they're all just so filled with joy when they're playing music together. And I, you know, I'd love to see it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, something that, that I look forward to. Um, I feel extremely fortunate um, that in the midst of this ruthless year that we're having um, in the music industry, you know, I've watched so many of my friends who own venues lose their venue, people who work Mm -hmm. for venues and bands and stuff, you know, they lose their job there. They're driving a truck now. They're selling houses now. You know, they are, they just could not sustain themselves. But right. I feel extremely fortunate that uh, there there were ways for that allowed uh, musicians to play music, like the drive-in scenarios, the socially distant pod scenarios, um, and and therefore Goose was was able to play. And the fact that the guys decided that you know they felt safe enough to to go, get out there and go play um is is yeah, just and those great. Are some um, phenomenal I mean, shows yeah i mean it, it really start it starts with the promoters you know making sure that the the bands are in a, a safe environment and and our agents and and uh gentlemen that i co-manage the band with um you know just filtering out everything making sure that the guys are in a safe space uh, and, and not just the guys, but our crew, because, you know, this is not just the people on stage, the the crew that that gets there at eight in the morning and leaves at two in the morning. You right. know, like they are the guys that that make this shit happen. The band can play fucking awesome music. I mean, the band loads their own gear as well um, from time to time. But, you know, props props to, you know, not only our crew, but the the crews of all the venues and, and all the bands that were able to get out there and at least try to make something happen this year. It's just been such a, such a crazy year. And I really hope for the best uh, for everyone in our industry next year, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a, it's a great place to, uh, to wrap up the episode. Um, I'd say thank you so much, uh, Matt, for coming on. Uh, it's been awesome talking fish and split open and melt with you today. Um, yeah, I'm hoping, uh, we can meet at either a fish or goose show in the future. Yeah, we'll do both. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Keep doing it. I I really love this format. It's a really cool exercise. I'd also like to remind people to, to get out and vote if you live in Georgia. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and also thank you to Greg Knight for connecting the two of us. Uh, Love you, Greg. Much appreciated. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather. Hope you have a fantastic day, and we will see you next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. 
From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.